0: If you'd like to help us pay our guests and produce the show, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash what's my thesis. And if you enjoy the show and just want to give us a five-star rating, that really is helpful. And if you teach me something in the comments, I will read it on the show. Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. Yeah. my thesis. I am your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? And as is uh, often the case, the second episode is probably a little bit more political than the first. <laughs> so I wanted to start actually... So you grew, you said you were born in Mexico City? Yep. Oh, and, uh, my guest is uh, Jorge Mujica and... Uh, I like how I got nervous and I had to, I was like,
1: okay, and then man. backed it up. <laughs> now you're good, you're good.
0: Um, so you grew up, you said you were born in Mexico City. Where did you grow up?
1: Uh, so my parents decided to come to the United States because just the way the corruption was being presented in, in their eyes was just kind of intense and it was going to get worse and so they decided to come to the United States.
0: This is the PRI era?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the whole time it's the PRI right? So, when,
0: when Vicente Fox, was at not PRI? Uh, but or it was, it was he... only
1: six years. Okay. And just recently that it's been. So like outside of that, it's always been PRI. Okay. So there's, there is no, like it's always and, been PRI. And what's the PRI specifically? Just uh, so we have an idea. Partido Revolucionario de... It's like a... It's like the dominant political party since the country's been set up.
0: Okay. And cause, cause it, the, sorry, go ahead. You know, no, no, go ahead. Oh, because that, that is one of the things that is interesting to me. Our country, you know, Latin American countries being corrupt. <laughs> but where does that corrupting influence come from? I think a lot of the revolution in Cuba was about getting the United States out of, uh, of government in, in terms of uh, Batista. So it's always interesting to me, like, also the way that people see these countries is like, just like, oh, they can't get their shit together. And there's like a, a, an interest, a bit of an intrinsic racism, I think there, where it's like, it, but it doesn't acknowledge like how much interference, right? Like, everybody talks about Russia and, gov- <laughs> and election interference here with like, not a, not a, a, a slither of irony or, or sense of irony.
1: Man, I think that uh, it's been real interesting to see how um, the spectrum of political action between states uh, has matured because of technology. And when you think about, you know, colonialization and the types of, like, impressions that global superpowers have had over when you say
0: states you mean nation states yeah nation states I apologize uh,
1: has been able to you know um, impose on other countries like you, you you learn about some pretty disgusting actions by you know people trying to maintain control or oppression, you know, they, they oppress other people in order to gain control. Yeah. But it's also been really nice to, you know, be mindful that there's other ways of doing things that don't require oppression and that they're not, you know, considered because they're not necessarily how Western society deems relationships should be between, you know, the dominant person and the non-dominant person. So yeah. I don't know. I get a little confused about all these kinds of things when it, when I think about them in the scope of time, but I have to be realistic and be aware that you know the things that have been done in the past are influencing how things are today. So um, when it comes to like being a brown person, that comes from Mexico. And lives in the United States, you know, and is being assimilated by the different things that are around me because it's not my home culture. It's not my home country. Uh-huh. It's not what my parents are used to. And I don't get the same type of support that other families get when they've, they've been here for two or three or four or five or six generations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like if my parents are learning Spanish,
0: but you do speak Spanish. And, 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 and I need to. And if
1: my uh, yeah, I of course I, I speak Spanish, of course.
0: Yeah, no, but I'm saying like if you were that many generations. Oh, I oh, if you had come with us, oh, you so you, do, so, you, you, I, you don't no, have roots here. I don't all. have roots here.
1: Okay. Like I think my you're the first my of great, your diaspora. Uh, I'm the yeah,
0: or not? I guess it wouldn't be. So I have
1: I have had a family in the United States before. Mm-hmm. Um, like my gra- my great grandfather came to the United States and worked on the railroad. Okay, and he would make money, and then he would go back to his like his town. Yeah, and he would do that many times throughout his life. Um, and on my both on my on my dad's side, um, we have had family here for maybe two or three generations, but they're like cousins, and uh-huh. that are they're my family, they're my uncles, you know, they're the people that I you know have an affiliation and a kinship to. Um, it's like one of the reasons why America feels comfortable is because I had a family here that was, you know, even though it was at a distance, they were always there. Yeah. And, but also, I'm an, I'm an only child, so that makes a big kind of aspect to being a, a brown person and growing up and assimilating to a culture and not having any older or younger siblings that, like, impact how I rationalize my behavior or my integration into communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I grew up, I grew up in, uh, in L.A., In the suburbs. So, like, what part? I was was in Granada Hills. I was going to Granada Hills High School, and then I went to San Fernando Valley Academy, which is a Seventh-day Adventist... Sorry if I'm mumbling. That's all right. It's a Seventh-day Adventist um High school, and it was great to be not in public school because then the student teacher ratio was ten to one. Yeah, yeah. And so the rapport that I got with faculty there was, you know, stark different from this like thirty to one in six different classes situation.
0: Where you're just another brown kid.
1: In yeah, a mass and I like, mean that was yeah. yeah. It it was just like really kind of atrocious. Like the when I think about in retrospect how. The <laughs> LAUSD <laughs> system is set up to let brown people fail, or it's just fucking horrible, you
0: well, know. It, it's it's all the movies in the '90s, like Beautiful Minds and uh, Gangsta's Paradise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I grew up watching Santa Deliver, right? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Ah, uh, that's the one with uh, Emily. Uh, um. That's the one where the it's it's in East LA. It's um, is it the one with Jimmy Smiths? No, it's it, with Emilio. Oh fuck! It's all good. It, no, man, it's it's good, but it's like, so it's a math class. These math kids in the East in East LA, uh knock it out of the park in their in their SAT, <laughs> and people doubt them because they're brown. But it's really like oh, I think his name is Jaime Escalante. Escalante the that math educator okay. and he was just knocking it out of the park as like a, an excellent educator Jesus. and people couldn't they couldn't wrap their head over the fact that these brown kids were proving how smart they were and so like you know it was one of the f- first few movies that i was, that i saw where people that looked like me were, were you know the protagonists that they were doing mm-hmm. something successful within life and you know i think that set up an undercurrent for me personally uh to fight the to always feel like I'm going against the grain because that's the only way that, like, things have been set up for me. Yeah. You know, so when I was, like, a little kid and my parents didn't know English and I was translating for them because I was learning English, that shit was tough. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was tough for them, it was tough for me, but, like, at the same time, like, I had to, like, put myself in that situation where, like, I'm empathizing not knowing what the fuck empathy is. Yeah. And people are empathizing with somebody that is a little kid. Helping translate for my parents It was kind of crazy So like all of that adding to Like an educational District that Wasn't doing much to help me Like ESL sucked man Like being in (laughs) English as a second language Was like the epitome of like Not learning anything at all How old were you?
0: When I came to the United States I think
1: I was like three Okay So I was a baby Yeah yeah You know And so growing up in the valley It was tough Like, I remember, like, one of the funniest and youngest memories that I have. Oh, but you
0: spoke mostly Spanish at home. Completely. Yeah. Uh,
1: One of the first memories that I remember as a kid about remembering that I was in California and no longer in Mexico was, like, going to the calendar and going, like, when the fuck? Well, I couldn't curse this little kid, right? I was like, when is this summer going to end? <laughs> I remember just you looking were at the calendar. I think I remember looking at it and it said January, yeah. and I was like, "When is the summer going to end?" Because it was just too hot. I was like, "When is it going to chill out?" But as a little kid, I think I might have been like five, yeah. you know. So that was crazy. So you said you had two MFAs. Hmm. There's a fucking. That's a story. Um, so yeah. So I finished with an MFA at Yale uh, studying and painting. Okay, but I have a few other degrees before that. So, um, fuck, I really hated public school, public high school. But I like public, but I like private high school. Okay, and so when I when I finished high school, I went to Santa Monica Community College, and I would commute with my parents from the Granada Hills to downtown, and then I would take um, a bus from downtown to to Santa Monica. So that's oh, my first shit. year of community college at Santa Monica. And I liked it enough that I kept going there and I, I spent three years in community college there and then I, I had to work. So I was just like, I gotta, make, I gotta make money. So I, I, I've, I worked for my parents. They had a they had a one hour photo on the corner of Olympic and Figueroa, oh, which so is across the street from Staples Center. Did
0: they retire before the that market just no, changed? No, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my
1: god, that that's it, right? Like there's this really cool article right now about Tom's photo, uh, and like you know the resilience that that guy has had in existing. And I'm like, man, Tom used to work with my family, like making. Wait, prints so there's and
0: stuff. a guy that called at, at Tom's photo that uh, yeah. has that still does one hour.
1: Uh huh. Oh wow! Yeah, and like the the coolest part about that spot is like you go in there, and you can see all these little portraits, because you can also go in there and get a portrait done. Like you know, most people would go to the mall. Uh huh. But like he has this fucking wall of like just vintage photographs that just like <laughs> have aged because of the sun. Yeah. And it's just really, I mean, you know. Anyways, so they had a one-hour photo, and that's what I grew up working with my my parents. And um, did you you had no interest in photography because of that?
0: it's not so
1: much that I didn't have interest I just didn't have an option so my dad was a photojournalist and so so art as photography was not something that he could
0: conceive of me personally? no he, him or why, why painting instead of photography if your dad was a photojournalist
1: um, that's another story I can get into, but, <laughs> but I don't all lead to it. It's cool. Well, no, I mean, I'm just curious because
0: that's sort of where my, my basis is like, uh, of, <laughs> or, or, of my education, oh, right? Is, is pho- no photography. Oh. Uh, like that's where I'm probably best educated in, in the history of photo and its significance and but blah, 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 blah. But, um, I don't know. It must be... It's, I didn't have a family that... Like, if your dad's a photojournalist, he knows Ooh. certain things about images mm. that are important... You know
1: definitely, um, so I think those are the types of things that i he was conveying with me as a young as a young kid, mm-hmm. and like learning how to compose an eye like create an eye with composition, yeah. you know perspective, depth of field, focus, you know uh asymmetrical, non-symmetrical, you know those kinds of things, okay, also like exposure, light, but the weird part about it is that because he was a photojournalist, I had this camera. That was my, my filter or my shield, right? And uh-huh. I'm a little fucking kid.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, with my dad, who's a photojournalist. And he also has this camera, which is also a shield. And because he worked for the this newspaper in Los Angeles called La Opinion or El okay. Opinion. Isn't
0: it still around? It's still around. Okay.
1: It's still around. It's much thinner now.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but well. before it was thicker. <laughs> and it hey, was, it's still
0: around. <laughs> it's still
1: around, yes. Um. So he covered the metro section. And we would travel all over the United States, all over Los Angeles specifically, uh-huh. uh, covering all types of protests, cool. um, you know, civic functions, you know, sometimes it would be a concert. But like one of the more like outstanding moments was we went to this railroad passing here in Echo Park, where we met up with some guy that was going to sh- show us how you jump on a train so that if you're a migrant and you need to get to Oregon, you jump on the train and you ride it there. So you don't have to pay for a ride. Okay. But there's a trick to jumping on a train. You have to know where you have to like time it. And I remember this guy was, I think he was kind of drunk, but he was on something. He was like really wired. We met with him. I went with my dad and a reporter, a guy that was writing down the notes. And, uh, It was fucking 1130 at night. We're in this railroad crossing in fucking Echo Park. The train is not stopping for us. Mm -hmm. This guy would just jump on this moving train. And he would like he I remember as a little kid just having this huge impression of like, what the fuck? You know, like but then it's like more like the sense of urgency for a person to use a train this way. Yeah. And then this actually kind of played a really interesting part in Cactus later, like, you know, decades later when um, we had a show it, by an artist named Eric Almanza mm-hmm. uh, that he created with uh, th- three other artists. But Eric decided to create the, the storefront windows into like a desert patch. So he he brought in dirt and then he created uh, a fence that looked just like the U.S.-Mexico fence. Mm-hmm. And for the, the exhibit, he had a bunch of water jugs uh, put all over the gallery, and the water jugs had positive messages, which are, which is again something that people go out there to yeah. the desert to leave for you know people that are crossing. And so Eric Eric had that there, and that led to some really interesting conversations with my neighbors, including somebody who used to be uh, somebody who traveled through the United States using uh, uh, trains. And they were like, you know what? I'm really used to this. This actually connected with me because we would always have to share with migrants all the time, and we would we would be gracious enough to be have this relationship with all these other people that would travel through the train this way. Yeah. So there's a kinship within that, and it was it was a it was a white woman, and I wasn't expecting that connection to be happening because of that. But yeah. it was nice to like also have this memory as a young kid. Of a person teaching me how to jump on a train if I ever need to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, like this thing with Eric's show, just to go back to it, because there's an interesting relationship with what's going on with uh, Cactus International, and is that like it was one of the f- moments in where the curatorial program of Cactus illuminated a, a desire for advocacy in this in this degree, because when Eric created a uh, fence in the storefront window so that you only, you would only be able to see who was in the storefront window but not in the gap like
0: you saw there were once you there.
1: were once you were in the window and you were trapped you couldn't get out okay. and we we needed to have like at least two people move the fence in order for a person to get out so you were really just uh it, it was a cell uh-huh so in, in the opening coincided with eric on one birthday and uh, so on his birthday, he decided to put himself in the window. So his whole family came, like his brothers, his sisters, <laughs> his baby. His, he has like three, two babies, and his wife were there. And he was behind there, and he he didn't have a chair. They they blew out the the candles through the through the fence, and there was a moment where like his daughter had a hard time
0: uh. because
1: she couldn't hug her daddy, and you know some people in the audience or in the, in the gallery space were really touched by that kind of genuine sorrow that, that is experienced between a family member when they're separated and it was really magical. So like, I think that uh, what I wanted to get to is that art is really one of the only ways to convey messages uh, non-verbally and to have them be lasting. So I want to be able to relate to being an artist and going to all of these moments with my father because those moments resonated with me, and I had a camera, and that camera was the way that I was marking all of these experiences.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's also <clears throat> pretty interesting. I mean, you're you're going through one of the more important relevant cities especially if you think about the fact that this is one of the biggest economies in the world in california and los angeles is one of the more important cities within there it's also a a, within our lifetimes it's a um i'm trying to think of a word to describe a city that's like a focal point of a lot of racial strife uh historic shit that you know the, the gangs all all uh, like all of it very much um I, it's funny I actually just read uh i I've been watching this youtuber called Vlad TV where he interviews just like hip hop heads from like way back uh, and I think he's had Melvin farmer and all a lot of like original crips. And stuff, but, um, I, like, there's a lot of stuff that has to do with Tupac, so I was listening to some of the stories, um, and I started to, like, just get curious, and I was like, when did he become a, a crip? And it turns out he's he was never, like, a, he was a thug, he was never a gangbanger, although, I mean, he still got, <laughs> he still got killed by gangs, so, um, but... I mean I think if that's that's what happened. But anyway, it was really interesting to see, to go back and read a a Los Angeles Times article where they're interviewing him and being disappointed by it because they didn't like realize how important this was going to be to someone later. Hmm. Like like it was just uh and and it was so caught in like he wasn't a legend in 95. That to to the point where the mainstream media was like, oh, yeah, it's cool. You know, like, yeah, you're fucking awesome, man. Like they were like a little hostile towards him. It's just interesting to like uh, think back. I think that especially now we the way that we are looking back at the world is very much with this self-righteous eye. And uh, in terms of like, um, I think it's mostly like a certain Class of liberal Americans that are getting nostalgia, nostalgic for an American that never really fully existed, um, and but it's it's really easy to forget what the world was like. So to be here in L.A., I have i've always had an, and it's a city that everybody has like an idea of what it is and to have actually experienced it do you, you i mean you were here for rodney king right
1: oh was so it? Yeah. that's
0: like fucking i mean that's right yeah there. but
1: randy newman i love la i mean in, anywhere you are in the world and if you have a connection to la you fucking love that song right
0: yeah, I mean, I just love L.A. in general. Randy Newman is is one of my favorite no. Oscar winning. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> I
1: was just being facetious about that. You but got yeah.
0: a friend in me.
1: I mean, yeah, he's classic for sure. But yes, I mean, I want to just go back to this idea of like being a brown person in L.A. and like and just the echo of that, like culturally, right? Like the Rodney King riots are like really special because they're not indifferent from like the Watts riots that happened, you know, sometime before that. The Watts riots were. There were. It was also like police th- brutality that was just getting out of out of control.
0: That was before. That was like before. The, I'm trying to remember. Made in America. Uh, the the guy that the movie that Stacey Peralta did about the Crips. Um, where yeah, I think that the Watts riots was before the Crips, right? Uh,
1: 1965.
0: 65. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But you know that's 1965, and then you take that forward to 1968, and like, it just grew. What, what was happening in 1968? The Chicago riots, where the, the military came out. You know, I uh-huh. think Kent State happened that same year too. Okay. I mean, that was also like Vietnam. Kent was State
0: was a shooting, right? Yeah. Like a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, we can get into that too.
1: <laughs> so, like, but really, like going back to this idea, I mean, it's all it's all interconnected, right? There's a sense of violence that occurs. Yeah. No. It's not even cyclical; it's just consistent yeah and you know that's really traumatic and difficult to go through it was nice to be related to my dad because he had a camera and that camera provided some shielding for that
0: yeah i think that it uh, because
1: he was out there in the riots documenting like all of the different things and so to like that's kind of dope i mean i mean yeah because like i got to see how like brave my dad was to be out there you know and documenting it and he got an award and you know people admired his like guts for being out there
0: yeah um, for fuck yeah
1: and so like that's done... like
0: florida man that was uh, in the arrest did you see the like, the guy that <laughs> the redheaded white guy that you you've seen the meme of a guy head banging in like a hurricane sure holding a flag no. he tried to do it again and he got arrested and he went viral again doing oh, that wow but... <laughs> no i have no clue about that
1: but i'll look it up <laughs>
0: you don't have to <laughs> <laughs> you know, let it come
1: to you okay you know fair enough fair enough uh
0: but yeah no i'm I, um i forget how i was tying how that was metaphorically related to what you were saying about your dad and the... just
1: being brave out in the riots or something. oh yeah
0: yeah well it, it actually brave instead of just stupid <laughs>
1: i mean it's crazy i mean bravery bravery is kind of related to being stupid because you're doing it because nobody else is doing it that's why you're brave
0: yeah yeah but that is an interesting also an interesting position i think that i always kind of think about what um i think what role artists play throughout history and what they the role that we have it has been relegated to now uh which i think there's i, I think it's also closely related to cuz i think that um media was probably a lot less centralized back then a lot less uh you know homogeneous money coming from one main source so you, there was a little bit more um ability to do better journalism and and I, you know this is right now we're we're in the uh you could call someone who's a journalist a terrorist or a fucking hacker a- a- era, where it's always been sort of like that, but like it's getting fucking crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah, I
1: don't know. So I, I have sp- I'm just...
0: specifically in terms of like uh, the artist role, I think it's interesting because I'm I've never been really one to make uh, to be an advocate, like, not that I don't tackle social issues in my work, but, um, in my like visual art, but I, I do find that doing this show is a, is a way of like, I mean, not that this is activism at all, but sort of at least have a dialogue about things that stress me out. Right. Um, which I wouldn't necessarily do in the visual practice. Right. Um, so but h- how do you how do you reconcile that Are, do you make uh like obviously there's an agenda right there uh, for me as well I definitely want some self-awareness in people I want people to maybe think about the world that we're in even though they probably already think about it in, ter- in the same terms like uh but in it, but I think my end objective is sort of um uh, more tied to how people feel about it rather than tied to having a particular um like sort of like well this is what you got to (laughs) do like Like, more directive more more didactic or maybe didactic. yeah i
1: struggle i struggle with making those decisions for myself yeah i think that um so, so you asked me earlier why I don't use photo as my medium, and or I, I was
0: just trying to bridge the gap between that childhood and think, experience. And I think it has
1: something to do with the fact that I I had witnessed so many things behind this the lens. Yeah, that like it never really became like one of these things for artistic artistry, artistry. Yeah, but it yeah. became something for documentation. Okay. And so then when it, when it came to being an artist and being uh, somebody that's making things, I always decided to make something that was more uh, abstract or maybe inclined to, to instigate critical thinking. Yeah. And so I
0: think that that's, I think that we're sort of like, I think that, that there, I want there maybe to be more questions rather than necessarily a resolution.
1: Because it, as much as I enjoy photography for all of the multiple facets that it rewards in memory and making and at the same time being creative, uh-huh. uh, when it came to being a, like a maker myself and owning something that I made and standing behind it, the thing that I relished the most wasn't necessarily the conclusion, but it was the process. Yeah. And I think that and pay, and, painting. It's in the, super process oriented. Yeah, and and it is and it oh, yeah. is because you're working with layers. Yeah, and so when I was going through undergrad, I was studying political science and art history because all of all the photo stuff and the things that it exposed me to, feel the rage mm-hmm. to like be an advocate for, yeah, for yeah. people like me as a as a young person, right? Uh-huh. So when I finished my my undergraduate degrees with political science and art history, um, I I needed to find. A type of advanced degree that would hybridize those things so that I can ex- get something out of it. So that's when I got into a master's program at the Art Institute of Chicago f- that's called uh, Visual and Critical Studies. Okay. And so. And that,
0: but that was mostly theoretical. That was in an art practice.
1: So it's designed to be a theoretical program, and but I was really lucky because it's in an art school, uh-huh. and because of that, I was able to include an art practice as my point of focus. Okay. And um, that's where I, I learned about Peter Halley.
0: And who's Peter Halley?
1: He's a uh, Neo Geo artist. He's a painter. National Geographic? No. Okay. Uh, Neo Geo is a movement that okay. happened in like the... I don't know. Like, what would it be? Like the 80s? All right. Um, but he uses what's called um, glow paint, which is fluorescent paint. Okay. And... Um, you know the popcorn in the ceiling? I forget what that's popcorn called. Popcorn ceilings? And like You know how when, when you look at a ceiling and it has like the little dots? Rolotex. It's called Rolotex. Okay. That's, that's the thing. So he uses these two materials and he creates geometric paintings that relate to cells and conduits. And these cells and conduits have abstract meanings behind them so a cell could be a prison a cell could be a walmart Mm -hmm. a conduit could be like whatever it is that those institutions are connected to and they could be connected to each other etc so there's this abstract poetry that's being uh imposed about so social ideas in a creative way not Mm -hmm. very heavy-handed and super beautiful, and at the same time, like just kind of jived with my entire understanding of painting and, and political statements.
0: So, that was in your second or in your first episode?
1: So, it, MFA. so I, in studying art at that level, Peter Halley came into the limelight. Okay. And I was like, oh, this shit's fucking dope. And then I learned that that dude teaches at Yale uh-huh. and that he was the chair of the painting program. So, I was like, fuck, I'm gonna put all my eggs in the basket and I'm gonna see if it happens and fuck dude through like the luckiest of the luckiest situations like the percentages came my my way and i got in Mm -hmm. and you know it was really wonderful to get that experience but it was tough yeah because i was i wasn't a painter and i was in a painting community Mm -hmm. and that painting community had very high standards because everybody there fucking goes there because they got the the only A in the class, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody was just like right on that kind of like edge. What year were you at Yale? I finished, I went, I went there. So I did SAIC, School of the Art Institute of Chicago, 2008, 2010, and then I shotgunned Yale in 2010, 2012. Do
0: you know Adrian Paulus? Uh uh-uh. uh. Okay, he's an alum, but I don't remember when he went there. No, but shout out shout out yeah well he's (laughs) you know what's funny he did an episode and he did his topic on Anne Carlyle which is an actress from the 80s that is still alive she reached out to me on uh, on the website for the show and now I'm trying to, book, like, I think I might book her for, as so, a guest on the show man, to talk man. about, like, her perspective on that shit. But, like, wow, can, you, can you imagine how nervous you are, though, when you make, <laughs> like, he was a little stressed out about it, Damn. which I was like, no, dude, I'll take care of it. It's all good.
1: That's cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's fun, man.
1: Um, you think Cheech i will reach out? I hope so.
0: <laughs> if you make him your topic.
1: Get out of here, man. Yeah. Not Cheech Marion, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's that, you know, when you were talking about your experiences, like it's so different from mine, uh, obviously, because I grew up in Italy, which makes it different. But I but I think from my experience, my relationship to my community was um, like being in the U.N., I think I can hear that pen. <laughs> Jorge's has uh, fiddling with a pen, and I can hear the. I just broke it. Oh, you did. Um, so, like, I there's there in the UN. There's a little bit of like an idea or. or ideology or sort of a, a sense of altruism, however valid it is, you know, is questionable. Uh, I'm ha- happy to get into discussion about that if you want to. But um, the main point is that like, it wasn't all about the Benjamins until, uh, and then I would go to Miami, and it was just such a culture about how much money you had. And so for me, that was what I associated with being Cuban as a kid, like forgetting that that whole culture got split in two, right? And then some people could go, leave. And then those motherfuckers were like, yo, let's starve the people that are there. Let's put an embargo. Oh man. It's a fuck, you know, and that, so so like for me, the, 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 the differences between the cultures is so interesting. But the, I also, I've always noticed that Mexicans have a deep, deep sympathy for Cubans in Cuba. Not so much. I mean, not that they have beef with Miami Cubans, but they they definitely like to troll Miami Cubans <laughs> with their with their worldview, which is great. I think that's fair enough because uh, I do think that
1: there's like. You know why Because there's, there's a lot of Mexican tourism in Cuba. Yeah, of course. And, you know, when I went to Cuba, I, I fell in love with Cuban culture. I yeah. was just like, man, if there's a way for me to come back here, I want to stay in Veradero forever.
0: Yeah. I just wish that they didn't, that, that they could fucking eat, you know? And that sex, sex
1: like, we hadn't turned it into a sex term, tourism state. That place is crazy. Yeah, it's with the poverty. It's so crazy. Like, learning about the Período Especial which is what which is like that that time period in the 90s where the embargo was really hard. Yeah. So like everybody had the same shoes and the same shirt and like it was just like that that's when the what is, rationing became a big part of yeah. Cuban culture. And so like learning firsthand with people that experienced that and like oh man it was so it was so touching but it also kind of illuminated a type of community that that didn't, doesn't exist here. Yeah. Like a type of support system that, you, you know what, seeing people care for each other at a young age or as an adult in Cuba is probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Yeah.
0: And then also one of the most charming things is just all the old ladies smoking cigars.
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the fact that you can have, I mean... Things in Kuwait are not beautiful because of, not because Cuban people want it to be that way. I'll say that. But P- Cuban people have a really wonderful way of living every day. Yeah. And I think that it starts with that delicious coffee. Because <laughs> I get to drink Cuban coffee every day of my life.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to bring up that we we do have a tendency to be known for being loud which is uh, even among like latin it's not even just white people that are like cubans are loud it's like venezuelans are like yo cubans are loud
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i think
0: i think that the cafecito may have like i
1: love that shit <laughs> <man. I> love <laughs> genetically
0: that shit. like made it, made us predisposed yeah, to being fucking like, hyper oh man yeah man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that stuff is great but the, the my problem with miami was the limited selection which was growing up it was all that over there and I had come from Italy
1: (laughs) that's a difference (laughs) yeah it's a difference
0: Uh, and and it's funny because in Italy it's not like there was a lot of selection other than Italian food but the Italian food is so fucking good and Cuban food is so specifically greasy and you know I I mean I love me some lechon but like yeah I like I really like Mexican food I think that that shit is, like, right on my palate. Especially breakfast. You guys have the fucking best breakfast.
1: I mean, Mexican gastronomy really takes it to a new level all the time. It's pretty intense. So when people come out to TJ, they're going to have some super awesome tacos all the time. Just FYI, I'm just... Putting it out there because the food in Tijuana is also really great. So how
0: how, uh, how much of a different... Like, is are we even close in L.A. with our tacos? To I miss? mean, it
1: depends how much you want to pay for a taco because there's some, like, really outstanding tacos here that, you know, like... I mean, Ricky's Fish Tacos is fucking good.
0: Oh, I've never been. I oh, I think Fish it's in Echo Park.
1: It used to okay. be over by the Children's Hospital and then it moved and then that kind of, like, fucked my jive of going there. But it's good. Ricky's yeah. Fish Tacos. Okay, so... What are
0: the concerns that like living in a city like Mexico City, like uh, obviously LA has its, its dangers, right? You can get, uh, end up in a random mass shooting <laughs> and shit like that. Like what are the dangers in a city like Mexico City? Cause it doesn't seem like it's super dangerous.
1: I think Mexico City is pretty safe for okay. the most part. I think... You have to be cautious of, like, what you flaunt because it's, like, a really large city. I think it's, like, the fifth largest city in the world. Okay. So with that comes, like, a huge diversity of poor and non-poor. Yeah. So if if you're used to wearing rings and stuff like that or flashy money, I mean, you know, that's not necessarily flashy money. But, like, let's say that you just like to carry cash. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you have to pay something, you and you, you know, you take out your wallet and stick with money,
0: yeah.
1: Or you know, like, you have a really nice fancy watch or something like that. People will notice those kinds of things. And in
0: the, I think in the Amores Perros era, uh, there was talk about kidnappings. Is that a thing anymore?
1: I don't know enough about that, okay. but I will say that there are areas and, that and are I... patrolled by police, and that those are okay and then there are areas which are with the wild west. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you'll know right away when you're in the wild west and so there's no need to front and just be chill.
0: Yeah.
1: If if you have an accent, just own it. <laughs> 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 if you don't have an accent, good for you. Yeah. Um, but either way, you, you know, treat everybody e- evenly and, and kindly and they'll be they'll be nice and even to you. But I think I think it's just there's a slippery slope. Yeah, if so it's not it's not like into, entirely safe, but it's not like if you're you, into the nefarious, the nefarious can find you. Yeah, that's what's up.
0: Like if you're looking for heroin, you can probably find it. Like as if as heroin addicts can find anywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like and it's a big city because <laughs> yeah. of that, right? Yeah, but it is the wild west because um, when violence happens, it's not you know doesn't
0: get resolved. But it same may here,
1: not right. get resolved.
0: Same here though a lot of times I mean it depends on who's doing the but it might also
1: be like kind of gross if it happens you know because I think the violence between Mexican people like meaning like if you live there and you live in a small town Uh like the type of violence that occurs there if it's you know if there's some type of like nefarious entity it's not it's not light. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I think that's well. What you're, you're talking about like just, the cartel
0: side yeah, of things, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, like I mean, when 43 student protesters vanish. Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: well that and, and but that and that's also like I want to be careful in the way that I'm asking these questions because I do want to be respectful and and it remind people that within the context of like, uh, you it is know, not like, a
1: first world nation. Yeah, but also, but, but or a developed but, nation. Sorry, I, I know that's an antiquated term
0: but um but I think that because it has been advantageous for the u s what, what, what
1: was that a backfiring car
0: oh <laughs> no, i think that that like i think that that kind of goes to like that's one of the frustrations with um that that I have like it's not like the u s hasn't been fucking meddling with <laughs> you know but then they 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 don't do that with Canada right. Uh, Canada is kind of left alone. I don't understand how that
1: happens. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just. It's just an observation. And you I, know what? I, I have
1: a feeling that the French just put their line down. Yeah, they're they like, just don't like,
0: well, but they kicked the Spanish out of uh, out of uh, Venezuela, and out of like you, you know, like the U.S. was just like, yo, you guys got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but it, but yeah so i anyway that whole shit is within the context of like yeah well you know if the drugs were legal here <laughs> there's been an
1: effort in mexico to try to like legalize drugs to in order, in order to curb the violence yeah there has it's you know it has its ups and downs it's interesting they have a current political situation that's kind of far out yeah, They have a, a really interesting Non-conventional president And I had this really strange interaction With a person in downtown LA I had to park my car And this person was listening to The president of Mexico talk And so I parked my car and I was like What are you listening to? And then he validated that he was listening to the president And I was like so what are your thoughts on him? And he was like you know what That guy's a hero yeah. And I was like wow wow, when was the last time that you heard somebody just like speak about somebody and just say like, oh, that's a hero. Do you know his name?
0: Um, I don't know. And, I and don't Andres know Manuel
1: Lopez Obrador, AMLO. Okay. And so like, I don't know. Wait. So, how damn, long has he been? In, how long has he been in power? Because he, because this next... year I think he like entered into power. Okay. I think like he's he's been in power for like a few months. I think people felt that way about Obama, right? When yeah. he got the like the the Peace Prize the Nobel <laughs> Peace Prize, like the like the year that he became the yeah. president, like you could say like, damn, that guy's a fucking hero. Yeah. You know, we don't got that shit now.
0: Yeah, all of that <laughs> shit is so fascinating to me. Just like because. Uh yeah, one of, one of my favorite for, so, sources for all of the information that I'm getting, well I, I I like The Intercept for Latin American information in English and then also uh the Gray Zone Project with this guy Max Blumenthal who's the dude that um broke the story before the New York Times, like a whole week before the New York Times, and then the New York Times corrected themselves and didn't give him credit, but he broke the story that it wasn't Maduro's forces that set fire to the aid in the, that that they were trying, like, there was a whole thing in the fucking, on a bridge that uh, had been closed off from Colombia. And anyway, these aid trucks went. But all of that shit, it's just such crazy theater, and one of the things that I keep talking about on the show is that it's interesting because you have people like Elliot Abrams. I I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's the Iran Contra guy. He's also the guy that's responsible for covering up like his first day on the job. He had to cover up the El Mazote massacre, which is in in El Salvador, like 800 people just got murdered. Like they were throwing fucking babies into the air and catching them with bayonets. Uh, And these are violence. Yeah. So, so a lot of this, like uh, all of these places, uh, it's really fucked up, and one of the things that is interesting is that Hillary Clinton started to have people that worked in uh, Iraq and and Afghanistan come over to handle uh, Honduras in the. Uh, I forget exactly the details of that, but uh, but. Um, Grayzone Project covers it really well. But then one of the things that they're doing now... Okay, so one of the things that I find interesting about this whole thing, because uh, I think that when I talked to Kellen, I didn't verbalize this uh, well, because he understood me, and he nodded, and then I was like, oh, he understands me, but I didn't verbalize it. But um, when Trump tells someone like uh, Ilhan Omar or uh, fucking anybody uh, like uh, Ocasio-Cortez when he tells them to go back to their shithole countries like there is not an acknowledgement as to why the countries are shitholes (laughs) and so you're essentially telling them we're gonna treat you like shit here and then you go over there and we're gonna treat you even worse Right, so it's an interesting fucking thing. And so one of the uh, things that's happening now with the Trump administration that uh, Blumenthal was talking about was that um, now they're going to Israel and they're bringing Israeli soldiers to Honduras because they want to start using the anti-migration tactics that they use with the Palestinians in Gaza. So now they want to. So because of the optics nightmare that's happening with migrants coming to the border, now what they're trying to do is make Honduras an open air prison.
1: I mean that that doesn't surprise me, (laughs) you know. And because I mean, I think something that we both kind of can agree with is like people in the middle east are brown people too you know yeah yeah I mean? no absolutely and they've had the same type of oppression that brown people here have had to deal with in the entire continent yeah right and it's always the same type of fucking issue with colonialism being at the root of it right well that's
0: the other thing like uh you know latinos are machista they're they, it's it's a it's a sexist culture all of this it's a very patriarchal culture like where the fuck do you think they learned that the church that (laughs) you know that's it's 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 all like it's not it's like it's it's a continuous victimization that that and 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 demonization of people of color and so so it to me that's interesting i think also there's a lot of misunderstanding in in terms of like or there's a lot of obfuscation in terms of which Muslims are good and which Muslims are bad, <laughs> you know, and who, who you know, Saudi Arabia, because of the, the oil, how we have that relationship, the, the that relationship with Saudi Arabia, one of the reasons that Venezuela is, is struggling is because uh, during the Obama years, John Kerry went to uh, the crown prince and started, and, and was like, hey, we need you to start overproducing oil, taking out the entire like uh, uh, economic base, the ability to do, like, it's it, it, the 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 suffering that happens because of the way that we wage economic warfare and the way that we we um, flex the economic advantage that we have because our currency is the currency of the world, which we talked about on the last episode. Like it, it's it's this um, it's this thing that like I see people in America, get upset, and I'm like, you're getting upset about the wrong thing. <laughs> you're Like, you're angry at Trump for the wrong reasons.
1: <laughs> I mean, you can still be angry at Trump, and you should be angry. Yeah. That guy's, that guy's like the epitome of a doofus.
0: Yeah, no, he's a piece of shit. He's, he, You
1: know what, yeah, that, he's he's a horrible human being. Yeah. And there's nothing that you can say that will change my opinion. about Oh, no, 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 no. I just yeah, want yeah, to yeah. put it out there for yeah. the whole world to know. Her. yeah, yeah on what's my thesis but um, i can i can't really speak to how you know the world works you know or how like it how to fucking fight the system because i can't yeah yeah the only thing i there's the things that i can do and then there're the things that i can't do and i think within that i've had a lot of like introspective thinking in order to realize that like every day that i wake up i have to fight yeah, and that my fight isn't going to be the same type of fight as other people. Yeah, and that my fight is really going to be something more akin to the types of things that I've always done in my art practice, which is that to inspire critical thinking. Yeah, and so well, I think that that yeah,
0: I think we're in the same like. I mean, that's all we feel like we can do, but I think that that's a very artist mentality. Like it an, is, an, it is until you until you
1: apply yourself to it, and then in which case you start to manifest things. Oh yeah, no no no, I don't think I didn't mean it dismissively. I
0: think mm-hmm. that, that that as artists that is the only answer we come up with, hmm. right? Like because we yeah. because I think that without I think it's like the first fucking step. Without critical thinking there's nothing, right? Like that's I mean that's what the <laughs>
1: yes i mean and that's the really wonderful part of dadaism and like people yeah. like richard stein where you go into the nonsensical and you create creativity and that like sense of nonsense is like in organized in an organized fashion or like non-organized yeah, and, that's, like, that's, and that's really beautiful but that's also a position of privilege to be at that point where like you well now nah, I'm, I'm i'm being a jerk i'm sorry No, I mean, wait, what's a position of privilege? To be an
0: artist? Yeah, uh, I think Yes,
1: to be an artist is a position of privilege in the society, yeah.
0: Yeah. True. I think, because I think that, yeah, yeah. I don't think... And I don't think that's... It's a fucking
1: sacrifice, even if it's a position of of privilege. It's such a sacrifice. But you have to
0: have the privilege to sacrifice those things. You have to have things to sacrifice.
1: I mean, I'm sacrificing everything, my friend yeah but you had
0: the, but, but, do you understand what I'm saying like, yes, like yes. in terms of like if you don't have anything to sacrifice <laughs> you know then there's nothing to sacrifice so there, there, there's privilege inherent in sacrifice
1: okay the thing I don't sacrifice is my time that's the only thing I don't sacrifice is my
0: time what, what, what do you do because, with your time then what how, how would
1: you because, what's the verb? Like even though I work right I'm every second I'm thinking about being an artist. How it is that, like, my calendar, my projects, my acts, how it is that I can find time to be in my studio. How can I collaborate with more people? How can I communicate different things? Just everything in my life has been focused on developing a creative narrative that allows me to be an artist at all times.
0: Yeah.
1: So even though I have to have, like, a job to make money, everything in my being is not going to sacrifice being an artist.
0: Well, that, that actually reminds me of, um, yeah, I think that, 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 that level of connection. Well, you, okay. So you, you had told me that you were in Berlin and that someone had asked you about this show. And the fucking sustenance of validation that I got from knowing that my world's crossed like that, you know, that I threw out a beacon, someone caught it, and someone, and then the, the, someone that I knew, like, that's such a fucking uh, exciting thing. It makes me feel like, it makes me feel connected to people that I haven't met, and it makes me feel less alone in, in a very real sense. And I mean, so that's... Uh, it's just like, I mean, it's also kind of self-serving, but it is a way of processing. Oh like, man. It, yeah. It's like, it. it's not just, it's not activism because of what's right. It's almost like activism because I don't know what else to do, you know? Like, and not that it, that it's, nece- that what I'm doing is necessarily activism. I'm just fucking talking about things. I guess I, I I'm an advocate for critical thinking and for, for, uh, uh, which I, that I feel comfortable with thinking of myself yeah. as, but, um. But yeah, and I think that I, I think that this is a community the art artist community is a community of people that have a need. To question things, you know, uh, in a very specific way. And I just way. need a
1: lot of support as a yeah. whole, right? I'm just really blessed to have, like, a mom and a dad that have yeah. always been there and, like, are my biggest fans. And I got to throw out a big shout-out to Elvia and Jorge and Mujica because they <laughs> have been the best. Your mom
0: follows the podcast on, on Instagram. My, my parents <laughs> follow Anything that's on my feed,
1: my parents follow. They are the sweetest, most wonderful people. Yeah. And I'm so happy that they've been able to pass on, like, such... What's your such, mom's name, yeah.
0: Elvia.
1: Elvia. Elvia. Hi, Elvia. Um, and yeah, and I
0: love my parents a lot too. I don't think that they they think as highly of me as yours think of. I'm you. an only <laughs> child again, so like they they
1: I don't even know whether they really, saying, really like me. They just, they <laughs> just like, that, no that, that's my kid, That's the only one. Uh, but you know, like I got to give it up to them because like they were able to provide. You know, like if you if you follow like this idea of self actual, like, a, a pyramid of self actualization, they sacrificed a lot. No. for me to like have moments of clarity and not have to worry about so much well
0: just the fact that they i mean in terms of sacrifices speaking going to a country where you don't speak Correct. the language 100 you know,
1: and
0: then but then that's also a sacrifice that affects you because now you have to be their translator
1: and but you, you know, know what it no. was just part of it was just part of building that that base It was just part of it, you know, like over time. No, no, I don't
0: mean it in a negative sense, but I'm just saying, i was just clarifying it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But that all that shit is crazy, and and it's a real pleasure. I I I I don't think that I've had someone from Mexico or or who has such an intimate relationship growing up over there yet. Uh, I've had. Uh, Hispanic people on the show, but mostly like LA-based people. So it's it's interesting to see, like, cause it's right fucking there,
1: you yeah. Know?
0: And it and, and but like that's kind of how Miami is too, <laughs> you know. Miami is like like Miami and Cuba are right fucking there, and it's just such a political like border. You know yeah. where like people fucking just jump into the waters and over yeah, here, and you
1: have sharks, yeah, and you know what the stories that people are getting in their tubes and trying to cross and not making it are also just as sad,
0: yeah, well, they get caught up in this current, right there's Correct. this current that takes them all the way out into the into the atlantic and and that and so, but you know it's it, it's such a interesting way of um. Of intera- of existing within the country, when you when you are when you have uh, uh, some ties to another place uh, uh, to to a culture of people that have been brutalized.
1: Yes. It's fucked up, man. It, <laughs> we it should. Really end. Is.
0: I don't think there's anything else to add. we should. Oh end yeah, so another. like funny, right? So like, uh,
1: so you know how in Key West, it goes, like the furthest point south is like ninety ninety miles yeah. to Cuba, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, I think cactus would be like the furthest point north, like, fifty <laughs> meters to the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> cactus International, y'all.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming, man. I've really enjoyed the conversation. We should definitely grab a beer and uh, and kick it. I, I will come down to Long Beach if you if you want to do a studio visit. Yeah, or like that.
1: Uh, well, if you want to come to Long Beach, you can come and see my sculpture at Gumbiner oh, yeah. Park.
0: Yeah, I'll swing by and, 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 and grab, grab come a beer and with see with
1: you. the. Oh, wait, the, you're talking to the, 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 yeah, the audience. Yeah, I'm talking to the audience. <laughs> you should go to Long Beach anyways because Gumbiner Park and the Museum of Latin American Art uh-huh. are there. And also, if you want to go check out the Billie Jean King uh library you'll get to see uh something like 13 collaborations that i've worked on in and that's for the month of what the entire year
0: oh the entire year the entire oh, okay. year. So, so you
1: make it out yeah. to long beach go check out the library it's dope as fuck it's new
0: nice
1: uh, shout out to the arts council for long beach for supporting me last year y'all yeah uh, congratulations
0: great. on that dude that's a really big deal to like have uh your Peace in the fucking middle of the city? Like, you know, and that's like your shit.
1: That was the city of Long Beach's support and the Museum of Latin American Art.
0: But like, straight up, that's like... Your work, like it's You, you, phenomenal, you, you know, man. but but you didn't have to like it, like because I've seen your work outside of that context. It's not like you had to dress it up or Thanks. you know make any compromises. It's just like yo, your piece is straight up in the middle of fucking Long Beach. That's a that's a huge thing, and for forever. Like it, you know what? It's gonna be a PokeStop one day, and that I, to me, it, like on, on Pokemon Go, to me that means you've really made it. Fuck, I hope so.
1: <laughs> Go out there and find those Pikachu babies. <laughs> All right, man.
0: What's My Thesis is produced by Javier Proenza, who is talking in the third person. Reach out at whatsmythesis at gmail.com and follow us on all social media at whatsmythesis. Don't forget to review and subscribe. And if you donate to our Patreon, this is where I'll give you a shout out and make up what kind of art you make based entirely on your name and nothing else.